feels like the world has gone a bit radio gaga, or more specifically, podcast gaga. But learning how to craft great audio takes time, and everyone has to start somewhere. Welcome to Future Perfect, the Emerging Writers Festival podcast. I'm Izzy Robertsaw, the Artistic Director. In this episode, we asked some brilliant audio producers to put their tape to the test. Hear clips from their back catalogues with commentary, critique, and cringe as they speak to how their storytelling practice has developed. To find out more about the producers featured in this episode, check out the show notes or head to the Digital Writers Festival website. Uh, it was just so vivid. Now I'm finally awake. That way that you have dream rules or that dreams work? I've just woken up, I've been sleeping all morning. Your dreams, nobody cares about your dreams. And then I woke up again. Yeah, I used to keep a dream diary. In fact, I've got one upstairs that has like maybe eight dreams or something. I can go get it and read it to you if you want. Now I'm finally awake. It was just so vivid. I've just woken up, I've been sleeping all morning, having bad dream and it's the same with hey. hey i bet you have some amazing dreams in your back catalog luke no i don't remember my dreams that much and they're fucked anyway i don't want to um i just realized that i forgot to ask you before we had this conversation but um would you like me to bleep your name out of this i know that people that know us are going to recognize your voice instantly but just for... um, it's all good. No, no, no. I think I'm happy enough with it. Just um, uh, what's um, what is the go with it? Like, because you've done several of these shows, haven't you? Or are you just starting? No, this them? is actually the first one. I'm going to use you in the first episode. Oh wow. Um, That's uh. You must remember them to some extent if you know that they were fucked, right? Yeah, I'm like, let's forget that instantly. Because that's like, yeah, no, they're horrible. Oh, so they're definitely in the the nightmare camp. No, they're not nightmares. I actually, do I don't mind some of them, but I don't remember them. Given that I've been like sort of fairly, you know, liberally discussing this sort of thing, and I've dropped a few f bombs here and things like that. It's not going to be your full name, and oh yeah, 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 yeah. I know that, but like more so if you were to go like, oh, the first episode of um sex crazy dream. Shenanigans <laughs> podcast interview thing, which is a really catchy name, by the way. And I'd like—I think you should call it. It's called Sleep Talker. It's called Sleep. Okay, that's uh, that's that's not bad. I still think <laughs> next dream interview podcast sort of thingy <laughs> is better. But if you choose to use Sleep it has Talker, a certain ring to it. But I am yeah. quite fond of Sleep Talker. Yeah, look, welcome like, to Sleep Talker, the podcast about dreams nightmares, and what happens in your head after dark. I'm Beck Fari, and today I want to send you to sleep. Hey, I'm Beck Fari. I'm a freelance audio producer. I work in community radio and freelance in podcast production and audio production. I also study design. Today I am delving back into the archives and I'm listening to the very first 
episode so this is the first couple of minutes of the first episode of sleep talker i started sleep talker around the time that i started making audio so i just recently i'd started doing community radio stuff and i had also started Um, So yeah, so I'd started producing for community radio at CIN in Melbourne and I was making stories and documentaries for a show called All the Best. And I was also listening to a bunch of podcasts and for a while I had been publishing a blog about dreams. It was kind of an online dream journal where I was writing about my dreams okay being like other people would email me about their dreams and i would post them on the blog and so when i started getting into audio stuff and had bought myself a little microphone i started recording people talking about their dreams and i wasn't really sure what it was going to be for but i just wanted to kind of combine that interest with dreams with the audio stuff that i was doing And so once I had all these um, dreams kind of collected, I don't really remember why I, like what made me want to start a podcast, but the name Sleep Talker just kind of came to me. And I realized that I wanted to make a thing called Sleep Talker and I wanted to keep making audio. And so I started this podcast called Sleep Talker. And so that first, this first episode, and especially the intro, intro, like the first couple of minutes to the first episode is this montage of a whole lot of voices talking about dreams. And these are conversations that I'd collected over, I'm not sure how long exactly, but a little while I'd been recording and talking to people about dreams. And yeah it's kind of i guess it's kind of funny going back to stuff that i made three years ago part of me is like disappointed in myself that in that time i've only made 17 episodes like i when i started the show i thought i was going to be uploading stuff I thought I was going to make like episodes. First of all, I thought I was going to do them every week. And then I thought maybe every fortnight. And then I thought maybe every month. But now when I look back in my feed, it's October and I haven't published anything since April. And I guess like what's funny about listening back to episode one is that there are so many voices in there and so many conversations that I recorded and I guess I thought that I could just make an episode and then turn around and make another episode without really factoring in like all of the time that went into making each, like first of all, the time that goes into having each conversation and then the time that goes into um, editing it. And there was also a really steep learning curve at that time. Like I was really new to audio, so I didn't really know what I was doing I was just like trying to make these layered vocal montages and trying to learn how to do sound design and trying to learn how to record stuff um 
and sleep talker was very much at the time I didn't realize that it was going to be my portfolio but it was kind of this space to play and to learn and ended up being the thing that taught me so much about how to make podcasts and how to make audio at the time it wasn't my job like when I started sleep talk I didn't think that I was going to become an audio producer I didn't think it was going to be my job but then through the process of making the show I ended up getting better at it and learning a lot about it and really loving it and so now it is my job I'm sure everyone who submits to this podcast is going to say something along the lines of like, like listening back to your old stuff is kind of, oh, it makes me cringe. Um, Like whenever I hear that someone has gone back and listened to the early Sleep Talker episodes, I always just kind of, yeah, (laughs) I just cringe because... I I just didn't really know what I was doing and I listen back to them now and there are so many things that I just think oh why did you do that like like when I listen back to the the narration that I recorded in the first episode I sound really bored and I just um the like all of the um like I think the music that I chose was quite cheesy and didn't really suit the mood that I now go for in Sleep Talker. Um there are so many parts of that there are so many parts that I would edit out now. Um so many things that that I just think like I don't want it to be a reflection of me as a producer now because it's not reflective of the work that I do now but like one of the questions you've got is like how do I think I would go about making this piece differently if I were making it today and that's actually quite a hard question to answer because this piece this episode is is just such a reflection of a specific time and that time was when I was learning how to do everything in audio production and so I don't really know how to say how I would make it differently because it exists as a training ground and an experiment and so even though I cringe when I listen to it now and like even though it's not reflective of me now I wouldn't be here now like I wouldn't make the work that I make now if I hadn't have just started and do you feel like um given all of your understanding of family law that that's helped you to make wiser decisions in relation to relationships I mean definitely um, it's ironic but ever since I've been doing this work is exactly the amount of time that I've been with my present partner so I'm sure it's had a positive impact Mm. I wonder if um, your partner's worried that you know (laughs) if anything does god forbid go awry that you 
kind of know the law much better than they do. I'm presuming they don't work in family law as well. <laughs> no, but um, he, he knows quite a lot about um, dealing with difficult clients that he sort of picked up from me and I bounce things off him, but um, we have a prenup, so that sort of means that we don't ever have to find ourselves before a judge, mm. which is good. I'm Ivana Ho, the creator and one-person team behind the Love Canberra podcast. The piece I've selected is from episode four, Divorce. This was quite early on in my development as a podcaster, and it was during a period where I was working in almost real-time mode. What I mean by that is each time I was putting out an episode, I either had only one or nothing in the can for the future. I hadn't counted on how difficult it would be to get guests of the type I was seeking for my show, and how time-consuming it would be to identify those people, get them to agree to talk to me, do a pre-interview, then the interview, then edit and put out that episode. So I relaxed my standards. I decided that it would be okay to speak to an expert for Love Canberra because we'd be talking about a subject matter that hews to the show's mandate of love, sex and relationships. We had a conversation that was perfectly functional. She was a family lawyer and we talked about the law as it related to divorce. It was a very educational process for me and I'm sure for my listeners as well. But that's not the point of my podcast. From the beginning, I had determined that my podcast is about personal stories, intimate conversations. And here I had strayed because it was easier finding an expert to talk facts than an interesting person to share their personal story. And I'd needed someone, stat. My compromise to myself was to try to ease in some personal storytelling towards the end, after I'd developed some rapport with the lawyer. And that's what's in the excerpt that I've chosen. That short bit is the personal and the intimate in an entire conversation built around fact and professionalism. Since episode four, I've been quite clear with myself no more experts. That's not what this podcast, my podcast, is about. I now give myself more time to find guests that are true to what Love Canberra is about, which means ensuring that I have a store of draft episodes before I enter the mode of releasing new episodes. It's a piece of wisdom podcasters are usually given when they're starting out, and I'm sure that it was given to me. But in my case, it was also something that I just had to learn for myself. Water falls from the ceiling. I tell my class that we need to get higher up and they scrape their chairs across the floor and fill their backpacks with their pencils. Outside, it begins to rain, but the flooding preceded it, I'm sure. I make a mental note of it because it seems important. 
I lead my students up the stairs, which has become a gentle stream towards the roof. I tell them that the elevator in this kind of weather would be unsafe. It seems like the wrong idea, I know, to head towards the roof if water is cascading down from there, but my students need leadership and there isn't anywhere else to go. I once conducted a study on drowning and the effects of drowning on people. This was after the drowning man's wife had decided never to see me again. I interviewed people who had come close to drowning. One man told me that after he had almost drowned, he decided to join a popular religion. A lot of people made life decisions of varying importance. These ranged from asking people to marry them, to simply changing the carpeting in their living rooms. I wrote that being that close to death makes you more decisive. I did experiments on myself in the bathtub, but I don't think it works that way. The drowning study was for a regional university. Afterwards, people began to offer me teaching jobs because of the success of the study. Hi, my name's John Chia. I'm the co-founder and co-producer of Paper Radio, a podcast that's been running since 2010. Um, and I also am the senior digital editor at the Wheeler Centre, where we also make podcasts. Um, the piece that we just heard a little excerpt from is called The Drowning Man by Chris Somerville. Um, and it was the very first Paper Radio um, story that we made, and I did the sound and music for it. That's my cat. I'm just going to lift him up onto my lap. So I chose that piece because um, obviously it's the first paper radio piece and one of the first things I would consider creative audio that I've worked with. Um, and I have a certain fondness for it, but I also have doubts or feelings about it. So listening back to it, we were trying to achieve something that was like a very rich kind of immersive um, listening experience, but that was much more drawn from the short fiction, short story tradition than... Uh, than a radio drama one. So I guess in terms of what I learned from it, um, I feel like I'm more discerning about edits now and there was a there's a funny cut in the middle of that excerpt that I think you can actually hear was an edit to the text, which I'm not fully comfortable with listening back to now. I also think in terms of just the mix and balance between the voice and the music and sound, they kind of step on each other a tiny bit. And there are certainly things I've learned in the last six or seven years that are really important ways to kind of get around and negotiate that. But also listening back to it, one of the things that strikes me is that I'm not sure I would have spent all this time on it if I did it now instead of back then, because I just simply wouldn't have that much time. I spent hours and hours, stayed up all night, and you know, every little part of the music was extremely deliberately sort of trying to match the text and to kind of navigate a bunch of particular moods and feelings and ideas. And on those, I think probably the biggest thing I feel funny about with this story is that I hadn't met the writer Chris Somerville before we made this piece and, and sort of approached him to for permission to use it. Look, it's a little bit embarrassing, but I feel like we might have taken this 
in much more of a dark, serious way, and it was sort of meant to be more darkly humorous or tongue-in-cheek, um, even lightly satirical at times. And that's been a little tricky to figure out even since because I've met Chris and hung out with him, but um, I don't feel like I still fully understand whether he's actually um, a fan of this piece or not, or a fan of how it was interpreted. I'm not totally sure how I would have made this piece differently if I made it today. As I mentioned, I'm not sure I would have spent as much time on it. It was our first piece. There was a lot of pressure that we were putting on ourselves to really make it something that we were proud of. And I think sometimes that you can be far too obsessive about these things too. But that's easily said in hindsight because, you know, I suppose I feel like I've put in a lot of obsessive hours and maybe the thing I need now is to step back a little bit. So I probably would have worked in more breaks and more gaps in the text and given things like the sound and tone and time more opportunities to play their role in the storytelling. Uh, it's hard to talk about what I have learned since then because like anybody doing something for a long while, you learn a lot and it's sometimes hard to exactly describe what that is. Um, I've certainly learned to get things done a little more quickly, although um, the paper radio podcast feed doesn't always reflect that, but that's because I've been doing other things. In terms of storytelling practice, I still really feel very strongly that I prefer short fiction to radio drama. And, I mean, that's reflected in things like um, the way that sound effects and quotes and things are treated. Um, not that I dislike radio drama, it's just not the kind of thing that I'm experienced in and not the kind of thing that I feel most close to. People these days, when they talk about fiction and audio fiction, they're really talking about um, expanded narratives and things like that and thinking about very big experiments in form. And I agree with that too, but I also think there's something lovely about quite directly translating the right piece that's written in text into this sort of format. Anyway, thanks for listening to that little snippet and for enduring my very needy cat. in the vase. They smell beautiful. And I think mum would love them. Yeah, she'd love them. I'm sure she would. So I would have been 18 months old, year and a half. Very young bubba. And from speaking to family and looking through documents that kind of reflect on what happened. Apparently my mum and dad were kind of going through a very rough patch and they were essentially looking at getting separated and he was accusing her of cheating on him and whatnot. But I know in my heart that that couldn't possibly be true. But um, they were separate. They were living apart at that time and um, I was left just with one of my mum's friends and this was up on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. She went back just to collect some things, I think some clothes and a few bits of furniture and that and she, I think she was in the kitchen or something and or she went to a room and he was in the kitchen and then she came back and as she came back in he, he, he hit her across the head with an iron which had apparently that was it like that would have that killed her the blunt the blunt force trauma was enough it, to cause enough brain injury that she was she was dead but um it then went further and it's quite dark and 
I suppose given that he was in a state of just believing that she cheated on him and it was, um, he'd broken his heart that he was in such a fit of rage that he took a knife and he also slit her throat. And I can't even remember if this is 100% accurate from what I've looked at court reports and looked at all that. My name's Rosa Golan. I'm a producer at Radio National at the ABC. You've just heard one of my best friends describe how his father killed his mother. It's probably the most intense moment from a piece I made last year called The Discussion. I chose this piece to feature in Future Perfect podcasts because it really was my first audio feature of significant length. I currently work as a producer on the music show at RN, but before that I was working on Radiotonic and Soundproof at RN, two wonderful shows that unfortunately no longer exist. But I was able to produce a couple of really small pieces here and there. And um, then last year I, as a freelancer in my own time, made um, this piece called The Discussion. It's Essentially a conversation, a discussion between me and one of my best and closest friends. Last year we were living together and we'd become quite close by this point and there was something about his past that I knew about, something really terrible that had happened and I never wanted to bring it up because I thought it was a bit of an awkward discussion and I'm terrible, terrible at confrontation and talking about emotional things but I really felt like we were living together we knew so much about each other um, and I needed to get it out in the air so one day I basically went up to him and said we need to talk about your parents and can I put a microphone in front of us I guess my thinking at the time was firstly you don't often hear the stories of children who are affected by domestic violence and as much as I wish these kinds of stories of domestic violence didn't exist I think it's really important to hear them and I thought this conversation isn't one that you have every day or that you hear every day and I thought it would be interesting to hear what came out and in a very selfish way it was a conversation that I felt I needed to have for my sake to get a weight off my shoulders and one thing I learnt listening back over and over to this conversation was how calm he was and how emotional I was. And in in the editing process, I had to cut back quite a lot of um, my emotion at times where I would be sort of crying a little bit, for example, because it's not my story, it's his. And I guess the only reason I'm in the story is because I didn't really know how to get into it without kind of going through our, my friendship with him and, and also just wanting to get the most raw emotion so I wanted to keep in everything and I think we kind of bounce off each other in a way that I think works and some of the elements that stand out in this is that contrast of him being so calm and articulate talking about such an emotional issue and then me it's not even my story at all being the the incredibly nervous one and you can hear in my you can hear that in my voice my voice is quite shaky and that was purely a result of the situation and, and the mood and the sort of nervous tension that was there. Another thing you would have heard right at the end of that clip was how I faded down his speaking and faded up the music. And I didn't have that at first. I had all of the graphic detail 
of him speaking about his mother's death. I was actually advised to cut out the extra detail because it would be too graphic and not appropriate for the audience. But I thought instead of just cutting it out, I would fade it down so that it was barely audible, but you could hear him speaking. I guess so that you did know that the violence continued and that it probably got a lot worse than what you'd already heard but you didn't need to hear the exact details to know that. It was kind of sort of so I hope that it was self-evident. And I think that's, yeah, it was a kind of interesting solution to the, <laughs> the, the predicament I had of having to cut it for censorship reasons or editorial reasons. I think if there's one thing I wanted to change, it's, it's a very simple structure I've done. I, I went out with him after our conversation to his mother's grave to record this ritual that he has of bringing flowers to her grave that he'd been doing for you know his whole life. Um, but this was the first time without his grandmother who, who raised him because she was in hospital. And that's what you hear right at the start of that clip. And it kind of just helped break up the conversation and give some texture. But I think if I was to make it again, I'd want to maybe play with the structure a little bit and and the sound and the music. For example, one of my favourite ever podcast episodes is our Love and Radio's The Living Room. I love the aesthetic of that piece and I was trying to emulate it, albeit poorly. I'm not sure what I've learned since making this piece. Um, about six months ago, I moved over to a linear program, which is a completely different production style and I don't get much time to to really make features. I'm just pumping out um, programs every week when and if I do get back to making features. I'd love to work more on, on sound and, and music and try and use those things in a clever way. So that's something that I guess I would, I would want to learn. <laughs> and when I think about the future, I sometimes, I guess I sometimes worry that everything is moving very quickly uh, and we expect things too quickly. We're impatient and we want more. We want it now, whether it's clothes or technology or even just the news. And I wonder how long that can last and how long we can sustain that. I'm Tim Scheel. I'm a musician based in Melbourne, and this track is called Spirit Home. It features a couple of my friends on it, Luke Howard playing piano and Wally DeBacker playing an instrument known as the Ondialine. So uh, my background 
is in electronic music and computer-based music, um, but at the same time, I've always tried to draw in sound from as many different sources as possible. I'm not a classically trained musician or composer in any way. I've just explored sound for a long time. I like working with whatever is right in front of me. And my process tends to be guided by intuition and gut feeling. Um, so working on a piece of music like this, which is for a video game that I'm working on, it's really about trying to find what the emotion is, what, what mood is kind of required, and then just following my own internal logic, my own path to create that emotion in myself, really. And if I'm starting to feel that way, then I hope that when people hear this music, they're going to feel that way too. I picked this track because it's a good example of the process that has been developing on this project that I've been working on. So the game is called The Gardens Between. It's made by a, a, a development studio based in Melbourne called The Voxel Agents, who they're an indie studio. So they're working in kind of the independent games world, which means that they aren't a giant team with, with hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars of budget. They're a pretty small team working really passionately on something that they, that they love and trying to be creative while at the same time making a game that broadly might have appeal. And I really relate to the independent games world because of my background in independent music where people are very much just following their, their hearts in terms of the art that they're making and also trying to just make it work, trying to find an audience for it and stay sustainable um, without necessarily uh, being involved in giant corporate structures or, or big the big music business, capital M-B. A couple of elements that stand out for me in this track are contributions made by collaborators. So I've been attached to this game for a couple of years and the process is really interesting. The game gets developed, they create these really beautiful levels, they send it to me as it's being worked on, and then I kind of score music around it. I explore sounds, send them back some options, maybe they pick some things they like, they send it back, and we just sort of iterate that process backwards and forwards until we eventually landed on what felt like a, an appropriate world for this game. A little bit about this game, you, uh, the, the game is about these two childhood friends, these kids that share a really important childhood friendship, but they're pulled into a surreal world that they have to navigate and solve a series of puzzles in order to learn more about themselves and to uh, kind of escape this, this surreal environment that they found themselves in. It's a really beautiful game and matching the music with the beauty of the visual aesthetic in this game has been a really interesting challenge or it hasn't even felt like a challenge to be honest it's just felt like a privilege to be able to to try and do that in the last six months or so working on music for this game i've started to open my process up to collaborators luke howard is a friend of mine and a fantastic pianist and composer who i've collaborated with a few times before and it felt like a natural fit to get him involved in this project so early on i actually sent him some of the musical ideas that i was working on and he wrote piano parts around it he kind of improvised on top of musical bits that i'd given him and as has happened a couple of times in the past what he sent back to me even though in for him it was really just kind of playing on top mucking around to me i could eliminate everything that i'd worked on just leave what he'd made and and find a kind of beauty in that in that space. So this track is, the piano from it, is originally a part of a song that we were working on together, but essentially I've stripped everything else out and just left Luke's piano parts. 
Uh, and then I've combined that with some parts that were given to me by Wally DeBacker, who has recently become obsessed with this uh, particularly peculiar instrument from the history of electronic music called the ondioline. The French um, composer Jean-Jacques Perry, who was a pioneer of electronic music, was very much a pioneer of this instrument, the ondioline. And Wally himself has become a little bit of a... a uh, uh, a homebrew virtuoso of the instrument. So I sent him this piece to see what he could come up with. And he sent me back some parts that definitely worked, but I ended up manipulating them, um, shifting the pitch and the timings to kind of generate moments of drama. And it f very much to me feels like a duet now. It feels like they speak to each other as this song unfolds, but they were never in the same room. Um, and so in a way, that's where I feel I've come in to, to this particular piece as like the matchmaker for Luke and Wally to get their parts to, to line up. Okay, so I'm Kate Montague and I'm an audio producer and the director of AudioCraft, which is an organisation for Australian radio makers and podcasters. Uh, the clip I'm going to play is the first two minutes of the second episode of Murder in a Small Town, which is a two-part radio documentary that I made for ABC RN's Earshot program. It's about a time in 1990 when my school friend Veronica's mother was murdered on their farm, which is just outside of The Rock, the small country town where we grew up. And for the documentary, I went back to my old hometown and spoke to the people from that time, I guess in an attempt to try and understand what happened that day, but also more the impact, I guess, that it had on the community and the families who were involved and myself as a child. In the documentary, I also reconnect with my friend Veronica, who moved away from The Rock soon after her mum was murdered. And we kind of like lost contact um, over the years, but reconnect later. So the clip I'm going to play is of Veronica and I meeting again. And it kind of leads into the beginning of her recollections from that time. Um, the reason I chose this clip is because it's an example of how all the extra bits of tape that you get when you make a documentary can really help out in the final edit. Um, so needless to say, most of the material that I got for this documentary was pretty heavy and really emotionally raw kind of material. So the big challenge and discovery, I guess, that I made when I got to the edit was like, shit, I have only spoken to these people about the most traumatic time of their lives, but it doesn't really represent who they are in their, like, everyday life. So when it came to introducing Veronica, I was trying to kind of find some moments of light or, like, you know, little bits of tape that might let the story breathe a little bit before we kind of dig deeper into the sad parts of her story about the loss of her mum and, and what happened that day. Um, but I also wanted to try and find some tape that connected Veronica and I back to kind of being young kids so that the listener, I guess, could understand what we were like back then and maybe understand a little bit about how the incident had a huge impact on us because we were so young and so innocent. But in terms of how I built the scene, it was a bit of a challenge to find the lighter tape in everything that I had. It actually came from like hours and hours with Veronica and I 
like looking through old photos or making cups of tea, walking around the garden and her like showing me all the types of pumpkins that she was growing and talking about all different species of trees on the farm that she grew up. And there was lots and lots of that kind of tape, which is often the stuff that you think, oh, I'm not going to need. It's just like kind of warm up material or, you know, just about us relaxing together into the interview. But Actually, I feel like this tape's often really undervalued because it's the stuff you need when you need to come up for air or have a kind of break from really heavy talking tape Um, and also maybe get a sense of a person in the space and the world that they occupy outside of the narrative. Um, So what you'll hear is the first two minutes before the story gets to that sad stuff, but... I kind of hope that it's enough to introduce Veronica as a person that has sort of dimension, I guess, that goes beyond her trauma. And the big lesson for me, I guess, in this was like always to leave the tape rolling and kind of don't be shy to just to kind of like carry the microphone everywhere and record all those little daggy moments of um, chat in between the kind of interview And I guess also like just to relax and like not have to go after the story all the time because sometimes the tangents and kind of different places you go when you're with someone can, you know, be full of happy surprises and also like just really save your ass in the edit when you kind of need moments of reprieve. So here's the clip. I'm meeting Veronica for the first time in 25 years. We look through old photos. Some of, birthday, some of the birthday party photos. In fact, is that... That's me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, how old are we? Seventh birthday party, 1986, oh. with our homemade... Um, party hats it's hilarious seeing ourselves as kids in daggy 80s jeans and gumboots climbing trees and playing in her backyard we must have been pretty young i was actually surprised by how instantly familiar it felt the two of us together i can remember going visiting you and you having an amazing knowledge of the farm and taking me to the forest and kind of pointing out and naming all the different types of moss. And yeah. I wanted to know the names of everything and all the flowers. And we had this amazing, um, on one side, native garden. And then there was quite, well, at the time, to me, being little, it seemed big, a really big orchard kind of area that had an amazing variety of fruit trees and then a big vegetable garden. And we had our chooks and... Like we also had bees, so we never had to buy honey and we know where the lambs went. (laughs) Veronica's parents were kind of alternative for that time. They set up sustainable living on their small farm and put a lot of effort into building a particular lifestyle for their family. I think they didn't want to live in a city. They really wanted to live. (sighs) I think... Yeah, they both wanted to live in the country and they thought that would be a good place to bring up kids.
This year, the Digital Writers' Festival runs from the 24th of October until the 3rd of November. To find out more about the artists and this year's festival, head to digitalwritersfestival.com.